Now, KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, we are indeed our two uh, Helitech Home Improvement Show, KMOX. We have two ashy American Society of Home Inspectors in the studio. I have John Wesley, who's uh, involved on the national level with ASHI, also past president. Mark Goodman is the current vice president here of ASHI St. Louis and very involved in putting together the uh, training programs and uh, just kind of advancing the uh, interest and training and professionalism of ASHI here in St. Louis. Is that a fair description of the two of you gentlemen? Yes, it would be, Scott. Thank you. Uh, You bet. Uh, Now, uh, we were talking off the air uh, uh, about the uh, uh, backhoe on the foundation and some of the issues around uh, some of the trenching uh, shoring requirements. Golly, if they're six or eight feet deep trenches and somebody's getting down in there to tuck point, uh, you'd brought up the point about uh, shoring and some of the recent collapses. Yes, uh, both shoring to prevent uh, a land collapse and personal injury, but also shoring to ensure the structural stability of that building oh, yeah. because now you've actually removed, if you sent, if you will, the pressure of the soils on the outside of the wall. Yeah. So now the wall might reflux a little bit. It does happen. Uh, I can think personally of uh, two or three of them that happened in the Bevo neighborhood when wow. people were just took too much mortar out at the same point in time and the wall just blew out on them. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, even even in normal loading, sometimes that if that wall has a little bit of an outward bow and it's kind of put like you're saying, you remove some of the support of the soil, golly, just even before you start tuck pointing, you could have enough trouble. That's wow. right. Wow. Yes. Good point. Uh, some of the things about the mortar, let's talk a little bit more about that. We, we spoke early uh, sure. about uh, hard mortar. And, you know, if you do some Internet searches out there, CamoX listeners, you'll find out what, you know, John and Mark are talking about. Uh, uh, and it has to do, I think, lime and the type of adhesive or uh, Portland cement's pretty hard stuff. Yes. Uh, so, so in the old days, it was a lime and sand mix that they brought truckloads of lime and truckloads of sand and um, the mason actually sat there and mixed it up and slapped it up on the wall and held the stones together that way. Yeah, like Monticello times, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And nowadays it's sand and cement Mm. and cement is a lot stronger than lime. Wow. Wow. And it's a lot stronger than limestone so it can pulverize the stones. Exactly. Well, we are here on CamWex. We have 10 phone lines, and we have some great wizards in the studio, and I will make them live up to that with all their experience and knowledge here. We have phone lines, 314-436-7900, toll-free, 800-925-1120, Gentlemen, before we get back, we had a caller on the line that was... um, uh, uh, building codes and common sense. And uh, uh, you, we had a great conversation off the air about how building codes evolve and are written. Um, do you mind uh, just opening up the conversation? We've got two or three minutes here to talk about how building codes have changed in the last 30 years uh, from a minimum toward, you know, on and on and on and how um, political that process can be on a national level. Sure. Um, You know, a lot, well, let me rephrase that. Some of what's in the building codes 
is obviously from lobbying from various different industries. A lot of what's in the building code, though, is really good, and it's there for health and life safety issues. A good example is decks. Ten years ago, there was very little in the codes to address deck construction, and that's why we've seen so many deck collapses, one of the contributing reasons. Um, And, you know, nowadays in the new codes, there's a tremendous amount that affects deck construction, and unfortunately, some people don't understand that and are still building decks like they did 10 years ago. But our building codes evolve based upon what we learn and the new products, you know, with uh, with the advent of the new technologies and new products, we've learned that we have to control moisture a lot better than we used to because our houses were built very loosely in the old days. And now they're very tight. So if you don't provide the proper drainage planes and the proper ventilation, you're going to have moisture problems. Which causes rot, which causes uh, fasteners to rust and fail, which causes decks to literally fall off of buildings. Yes, exactly. Yeah. John, uh, uh, Mark and I had talked about NADRA. Uh, yes. uh, tell me a little bit more you know, related to decks. Uh, we'll get back into building codes a little bit, but while we're on decks, it's, you know, N-A-D-R-A. Uh, tell me right. about that. Uh, NADRA is the North American Deck and Railing Association. Uh, kind of came out of the being of seeing the nature of so many deck issues, so many failures. Over 35,000 people a year are severely injured wow. from deck in, um, failures and you know, and railings collapsing. There's a lot that goes into a deck that people forget about. Sometimes they'll light a barbecue grill, sit there grilling, and the next thing the deck is actually burning. Well, that's an obvious failure of the deck at, at that point. But there's a lot of points of connection. A lot of strength in the deck over time wears out as those fasteners, some cases fasteners used that are not compatible with the woods, but as those fasteners age, they deteriorate, and they no longer have that same grabbing strength, the same holding strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, one big area that uh, all these deck failures, when they're studied, because each one does get studied afterwards to say, why did it fail, is they realize that just a simple procedure of attaching the deck structure to the structure of the house along the ledger. Uh, there should be a flashing there to keep it dry so water doesn't get between the house and the deck itself, as well as... Those fasteners, are, a lot of times, are just end-nailed, if you will, into yeah. the structure of the house. That is the one of the weakest points of the wood, the end grain of the wood. And then a lot of times, it just pulls out. So one of the mm. safety factors that they've improved upon is they now want positive connection between the deck structure and the actual internal structure of the home. So they're actually tying it together, not depending on that, that ledger board or the band boards to hold it anymore. They're actually going joist to joist. Yeah, yeah. So that there's something, there's enough wood flesh to actually receive that fastener. Correct. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, well, uh, back into, uh, before we get to the phones here, uh, back into the building codes, uh, you'd mentioned some of the lobbying. I mean, that happens at all levels. Um, and, it, the, you know, the history of the building code is that it used, there were several, there were many. And then trying to keep all of us on one page with the manufacturers, with the consumers, with the code enforcement officials, we now have the international code, the ICC code, which has gotten, um, instead of proscriptive, do it like this, uh, by being international, they are accountable to Minneapolis, you know, where it's cold all the time and 
you know, Miami, where it's hot and humid all the time. And, you know, where we are here in the middle, we don't know what we are because we're half too cold and half too hot and humid as the Dickens all the time. So one size doesn't fit all. So it, it's created quite a bit of various interpretations. And, you know, and the politics are really starting to fly around building codes. Yes, they are. And a lot of uh, people don't realize a, the building code, yeah, it's called the ICC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an organization. It primarily means, hey, we've become international, meaning the the states of the United States mm-hmm. is this written for. It's not a globally applicable right. code that's written here in the United States. It's for the, for the United States. And as part of that code, code is actually designed to be a minimum standard for general life, health, and safety of a building mm-hmm. for safe living. And so everything else kind of grows out of that. A lot of the code is reactive from failures that we find on new technologies. Yeah. Okay, it needs to be better built this way with an eye joist, and it needs some blocking, for example, in certain places for load-bearing walls that, say, the old dimensional lumber did not require because you had that meat to the wood. Sure. And, you know, then in in my world, we start working with eye joists, and we've got carpenters that now need to be retrained. No, it's not okay to do it the old way. There is, you know, new materials, new technology, new way. Oh, and, you know, by the way... If you blow it, you know, the house falls down, you know, so the consequences are big that and that's how in my my career and in, in my career as uh, owning and running a, a construction company, uh, we have so much become, as you have in Ashi, uh, a training organization. We are, uh, you know, hurtling toward trying to keep up with the changes in educating our own employees. And I, I just can't imagine having a heavily subcontracted business model, uh, you know, because you have no idea who's been to what class for what. And, you know, it. it anyway, uh, I, I'm realizing the commonalities between uh, you as home inspectors and us as, as, you know, a contractor trying to keep on top of all that. And then I look at the code officials. Holy smokes, those guys are, you know, they have to stay on top of this stuff too. So we're all in this together whether we like it or not. And for you, as a design-build contractor... It's got to be really tough because you might be in Kirkwood today and Florissant tomorrow and with over 90 municipalities in St. Louis County alone, and plus then the city and Jefferson, Lincoln, Franklin, Warren, et cetera, counties, every municipality adopts a different code. So we may have 40 that are on 2009 and you know, two on 2015 and some on others. And then every municipality decides to tinker with little areas of that code. So to have ever know every little nuance of each code that each community has adopted has got to be a nightmare for somebody like you. Well, we spend a lot of time, you know, staying on top of that. And, and that's why we choose to do our own design. And, and Frank, but from a, on the front end as architects, that's a handful uh, the other side of it, and re- I really like our bus- you know, design-build business model because, frankly, everybody's trained throughout the chain. So, it, you know, if the front-end design misses something, you know, we've got two other people in the con- construction chain that are going to fix that along the way. So that's kind of convenient. Anyway, uh, let's uh, – we'll take a short pause and come back. How's that? So, Mark, John, we stick around? Will do. Thanks, Scott. Right on, sure. gentlemen. Uh, Cam Wex Home Improvement Show. We will be right back. 
And now, back to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show. Once again, your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, off-topic, off-microphone conversations about so many things here. I wish you could kind of be a fly on the wall and hear our conversations. Maybe I just love it, but, you know, we're geeking out over all sorts of this stuff here, guys. Let's fire up here and see what's cooking with Don here. Hey, Don, welcome to KMOX. How can we help? Uh, Good afternoon, Scott. I got a question concerning my deck. Yes, sir. I'm having the uh, flooring replaced Mm -hmm. along with the deck uh, stairway replaced. I have three steps leading up to the deck off of my patio, Mm -hmm. brick patio. Um, The steps span 12 feet, and there's a 45-degree angle in there. Um, I've had three or four different companies come out to give us bids. One or two of the gentlemen have mentioned that uh, the rising, the riser on the steps might not meet code. A couple of us said you need to go from three steps to four small steps. The other contractors say three quarters of an inch is so insignificant the inspectors wouldn't say anything. I, I'm apprehensive as to whether to go with continue with three or to go with the four smaller steps. I'll tell you here, Don, uh, this is one of the best consumer contractor qualifiers right there. The, the What you've got is somebody saying we're trying to comply with requirements, and you've got another guy that generally is saying, I'm not going to comply with requirements. We'll just turn our head. My question to you is, which guy do you want to get in with? You know, frankly, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Well, I mean, I love consumer questions like that. It's like, how are you made? What are well, your values? Who do I trust? John, well, John's con- got something. The, con- the contractor that I would like to use has said, I will build them either way. You tell me which one you want. Hey, hey Don, here, here's how you go. Uh, one, anyone out there living in any municipality, you can call your... City Hall, and ask for a copy of their ordinance. Within that, the construction guidelines will refer to what they allow as a maximum and a minimum. Now, typically in the United States, a riser height can be no more than seven and three-quarter inches in height, and that's from the base to the tip of the tread. Correct. So if you're saying, oh, well, does that extra three-quarter push me to eight and a half? Generally, no, most people aren't going to see it, but mm-hmm. it is not correct. Okay. Well, it's seven and three quarters to eight to eight inches, so it's max half inch. Well, here, here's the other Minimum thing that kicks three, in, Don. There, there's another thing that kicks in. Once you start a flight of stairs, say you started at seven inches, mm-hmm. you, cannot, you cannot vary the next stair or any stair within that same flight of steps by more than one-eighth of an inch. Uh-huh. So you can't have one at seven inches and one at eight inches and then one at six and a quarter to say, Correct. here's my three steps. They all need to be evenly spaced. Yeah, that's understandable. Okay, well, that's a question I have to resolve. Yeah. Uh, there's another question, and that's concerning the um, 
the backing. What do they call that? The um, Some people call it the kickboard, the toe kick. Yes. The riser okay, board. The, the riser board. The rise, yeah, the riser board. The steps themselves will be using, we've in the past used 2x12s, but instead they're going to pull on 2x6s. Um, we've got a walkout basement, and I like to look through the steps down below. But two of the contractors said, no, you've got to put the backing in there to meet code. And that, the other guy said, well, I would go without it. Uh, that would be correct. You are generally going to be required in this area to do so. And the reason being is if you look at handrails as well, the space in between balusters, both that and the stair tread space on that riser height, you can pass a sphere no larger than four inches. So think of a, a four-inch ball. If that four-inch mm -hmm. ball goes through there, you have to protect it so it doesn't go through. Yeah. Uh, and the driver behind that is an infant's head. So yeah. you can have, uh, you know, one-year-olds right. learning to crawl, crawling up the steps, falling through sure. that riser. That's, that's the why. Very good. Okay, I appreciate your help here. Don, Don I, I really want to circle back around to um, uh, basically you're getting to see the DNA of these contractors. Yes. Uh, and I would uh, be careful. Um, and we're probably going to get in in this room here about why the codes and, and how um, insurance companies are starting to drive um, code uh, adherence. In other words, people getting permits. Uh, so it's, it's getting ugly out there because the insurance companies are getting tired of paying for losses when homeowners are not pulling permits and follow, you know, they're in breach of contract with the insurance company. So beware what you vary here, and uh, it is you who is liable. You get to sue the contractor if it's wrong, but you get sued yeah. first. Well, I am probably leaning to going with the fourth step because I'm getting older, more difficult on the steps, and the smaller steps are probably more beneficial for my wife and I. Yeah. Yeah. But I was curious as to uh, what your position would be on this. All right. Hey, Don, the other thing that I'd like to throw out there real quick is consider putting some handrails on there, whether it's a three-step or a four-step rise, especially yeah. because you said you were getting older. It's mm -hmm. always nice to have something to grab onto. And typically, they don't really want to go much wider than a six-foot step without having a center rail there so you can grab it. If you start falling oh. and you're in the center of it. Yeah. Oh, that's another issue. So, yes. so there's some design things that you can do to make it look very aesthetically pleasing and still be a lot safer. And this is your life and safety we're talking about Correct. here, not code or somebody else. This is everyday use for you and your wife. Well, on, on, the, outs, on, the, on the outside of the steps, we do have the railing. Mm -hmm. But up against the house itself, we do not have a... a uh, a railing, and the contractor said that the county would probably require that a railing be put on both sides of the stairway. But none of them mentioned on a 12-foot span the need of a center railing. Yeah. Well, and again, I would encourage you, Don, do a little bit of educational reading. I know looking in that code for local municipality that you live in it's mm -hmm. not necessarily easy to read but what they require is going to be in that print yeah 
And yep. that is public information. Very good. And keep in mind, Don, that if they specify two railings as a contractor in the scope of work and it requires a third rail in the center, that's going to be an additional charge work uh, change order because it was sure. not in the scope, even though it's required. So uh, there's a way to get the job by being non-code compliant and then you just change order the client. Even you know, So watch the ethics behind this. This is, this is an everyday occurrence for us at Mosby. So I, I, I lose a lot of work over knowing what's supposed to be done. Good. Very good. Thank you for your help here. Okay. Thanks, Don. Bye now. Let's take a short pause, get back on schedule. Don and Mark, thank or John and Mark, thank you very much for all of this. This is the this is valuable to the consumers listening to CamelX. We have some of the smartest listeners in the world and you know, thanks to you. Always happy to happy to help out. All right. Uh, Ashy, American Society of Home Inspectors in the house today on CamelX. And now, back to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show. Once again, your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, we are here home together. This is the Camwex Home Improvement Show, the Helitech Home Improvement Show. Uh, we are live and lively here. Uh, we kind of lost our callers. We've got a call. You want to call? Come on in, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Uh, we had a patient caller asking about concrete ceiling. Uh, so I'd like to address that a little bit when we come back. But right now, we've got a uh, Rick Wallace issue here, uh, the CamWax newsroom. We've got a traffic update. Uh, Mr. Wallace, what do we have happening in the CamWax listening area? Oh, where am I here? Try this. Yes, sir. Uh, hang on a minute here. Okay, there you go, Rick. I'm with you now. All right, there we go. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, we've got an accident, a serious accident, eastbound 44 at Barry Road. Uh, they had the all lanes blocked there for a while. Traffic was uh, a bit backed up, so you may want to... Uh, uh, take note of that. It looks like maybe they're getting traffic moving again through there. But eastbound 44 at Barry Cruz were working an accident. It looks like uh, we still have police on the scene and uh, several lanes blocked. So uh, that's an area to avoid right now. There you go, Scott. Thank you. All right, Rick. Will you keep us updated throughout will do, that? sir. Yes, All sir. Right. Thank you. From the CamelX uh, Newsroom, Rick Wallace, uh, that is eastbound 44 at the Barry Road exit. Uh, um, it, uh, let's see what's cooking here and see what's happening. Let's go to Rick here on the uh, phones. Uh, Rick, Scott Mosby, uh, Mark Goodman, and John Wessling here. How can we help you? Hey, guys. I had a question. Talk about decks before with the TGI floor joist. Uh -huh. What about the, the half-inch rim board now? How do you... A lot of these different cities now, I'm, I'm a deck contractor, as I'm calling, mm -hmm. and a lot of these cities don't really address the issue of that rim board being only a half inch and attaching to that. They don't say you have to block or you don't have to. You can drill right into it. What What do you guys recommend you, as the proper? Oh, you mean as far as attaching a deck to an I-joist uh, existing building? Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, on a residence, residential, correct. Uh, typically, Rick... Um, about the only way, uh, now we've got CodeWise where they're requiring posts independent just for that reason. It's easier to inspect. So uh, that that's why we're seeing piers and adjacent posts next to the building well, to it, insulate from that. But, I, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. They're talking about deck failures. Yeah. And none of these counties require that. 
believe me, I've been I've been down that road. A lot of these counties do not require additional posts at the house. They don't even, they don't even ask if it's an LVL or TGI floor joints when you require. So there's going to be a problem coming up down the road for future deck failures. Yeah. Well, Rick, to solve it, are you uh, bearing inside on the plate of the foundation or independent? Yes. Yes. We we open we open it up actually. Take that. Yeah. Open it up and slide our. Especially on around a bay where the delvers are, we slide into the on top and sit on top of the foundation. That's yeah. how we're doing it there. But no one, no one really forces that issue as asking even if it's a TGI floor joist or not. That's going to be a problem. That's what I'm telling you guys. No, St. Louis County, St. Charles County, they don't even ask about that when you go into plan review. It's not even, it's not even, brought, not even brought up. <clears throat> hmm. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Rick, thanks for that heads up, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Interesting. Uh, I guess that shifts to on-site inspection responsibility or even an awareness. Uh, I'm surprised. Well, to give you an example of what he's talking about, uh, John and I, along with some other home inspectors and the St. Louis real real estate agents, uh, with uh, Rebuilding Together St. Louis, one of the houses we tore a deck off of. And it had TGI floor system. Uh-huh. The rim joist on a, I think it was about a 12-year-old house, was literally gone mm. because of moisture. From because the deck connection? From the deck yeah. connection. It wasn't properly flashed, yeah. you know, and then it was just bolted in, lag bolted into the rim joist. And if you think of that as a piece of OSB, that doesn't have the same holding power as a traditional piece of lumber. Yeah. And then you know that the rim joist is attached to the eye joist with basically two nails at the top and two nails at the, bo- uh, at the bottom. And hopefully they've nailed their subfloor on properly to help tie that together. A lot of times what people are uh, suggesting is that you defer to the manufacturer's recommendations for the installation depending upon whether your eye joists are running parallel or perpendicular, lateral load connections and blocking is pretty much the answer. Yeah. Uh, for the CAMWEX listening out there, uh, an eye joist is a plywood web floor joist or uh, joist system. So what goes up and down may be, you know, three-eighths inch plywood, half-inch plywood, and it has about an inch and three-quarter square piece of laminated hard lumber on the top and the bottom. So that's why we call them eye joists. Uh, and they are not a 2 by 10 They are not a 2 by 12 They are not dimensional lumber. So when you hear Mark and John discuss traditional or dimensional lumber, there's just nothing there to screw to or nail to. So uh, that's what uh, our previous caller, uh, Rick, was talking about. So, wow, handful. Now, uh, back to the Nadra. Uh, John, you'd uh, flirted with this earlier. Uh, you offer a uh, certification for your ASHI home inspectors for uh, a, a, an accredited certification of knowing how and what to review on a deck for safety and home inspections. Right. Well, one of the things that ASHI inspectors believe in, especially the local chapters and national, uh, is education. Mm-hmm. And we're all about education, uh, to be knowledgeable for new products and, and issues coming up and about. And a couple of years ago, NADRA, North American Deck and Railing Association, uh, kind of collaborated with ASHI and said, hey, listen, what do we need to do to get the word out? Mm-hmm. How can we get better inspectors? How can we say there's some big issues on these decks that people are missing? 
Uh, so working in conjunction with Madra, we said, hey, listen, this is something valuable for our membership. So this spring we actually brought in Nadra for a day. It was a f- uh, five-hour course, I think. Yes, And uh, there were 31 uh, local inspectors who actually became certified with Nadra uh, after ta- taking their test after that course. Well, very nice. I, I, I read something. Uh, well, the, the logic of this is I would guess, and this is just subjective, that at least half the decks in the country are do-it-yourself built. That you know, not really permitted, not really reviewed. Uh, some maybe, but if you have half the decks, and Mark, you had cited something on the age of uh, most decks. Yeah, Nadra says that um, roughly fifty percent of all decks are twenty to forty years old, and the life expectancy on a typical deck they say averages out around twenty years. Now. They can last longer if they're properly maintained, but most people don't realize that you have to maintain a deck. It's just like any other structure. And so you have all these decks that are not maintained, and so you have a lot of decks that are at or beyond their life expectancy. That coupled with the fact that roughly 50% of decks are built wrong or missing key components, a lot of those are due to DIYers. Mm -hmm. You know, not all of them, but a lot of them are. I don't know if there's a specific number. Um, I haven't seen a number that says, you know, 50% are DIY versus non-DIY. But that, I mean, you get a deck eight feet in the air and you get six or eight, ten people up there. Um, You know, that's why we're hearing so many of these Mm -hmm. deck failures. So, you know, with the numbers you're citing, basically you've got half the decks in the country at or near the end of their life that may not have been put together originally. And what we're really talking about on maintaining the deck isn't staining and nails. We're talking about fastening to the house and and rot. Right. Go underneath your deck. Look and see if you see any red rust on any hardware. Um, There's, you know, at our website, stlashy.org, you can download the consumer checklist, um, to do your own self-test. But, you know, just like people change their batteries and their smoke detectors a couple times a year, every spring before you start using your deck, you should look at the deck. Look for rotted wood. Look underneath the deck. Wiggle your handrails and make sure they're strong. Now, don't violently shake them. We don't want you falling off the deck. But... Go go, give it a check, yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 and 800-925-1120. We have John, Mark, and Scott. Be right back. And now, back to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show. Once again, your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, and we are live and lively here on KMOX. We're going to get to our next caller and talk to Wanda. Wanda, good afternoon. Welcome to KMOX. Hi, good afternoon. I wanted to just comment uh, that in addition to uh, understanding codes, um, one a person who's hiring a contractor to work in their home is uh, needs to be aware of the fact that many times insurance uh, is a requirement for that contractor. And um, they should have and be able to produce and give a homeowner a copy of their certificate of insurance showing the dates of their insurance and what type of coverage they have. And I think um, many contractors will tell you they don't need to have insurance. And you 
can call the uh, Division of Insurance in Jefferson City and find out that, oh, yes, they do need insurance. So uh, it only comes up if someone gets injured on your property. I don't want to say it only comes up, but if someone gets injured, uh, payment can come out of your homeowner's insurance, which is going to cost you. Or sometimes gets denied on the homeowner's insurance, and it's a personal liability as well. Okay, yes, it that's gets correct. A, it does. Wanda, that's a good point. Um, I appreciate your bringing that forward. Do you have any personal experience with that? Yes, yes. I've had contractors who have given me bids for decks uh, in particular and have said, uh, I don't need insurance. I don't, I'm not required to have it. And you call and find out from uh, the agency in Jefferson City, oh, yes, they do. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and you can also find the information on the internet and print out, um, don't even need to print out, but for my purposes, I tend to print it out, uh, what the requirements are, how many workers, that kind of thing. And, um, anyway, it's just another thing to be aware of, uh, so that you don't get burned and it's easy to get burned. And yeah. also when they give you the certificate of insurance, check the dates yeah. because many times I have been given a certificate. And it turns out their insurance expired six months ago. Yeah. Uh, so when they're doing the work on your home, no, they do not have coverage. Okay, R- Wanda, we're running out of time. Thank you for bringing this forward. Appreciate that yes. call. All You're right. welcome. Bye-bye. Bye now. Now, uh, John and Mark, we've only got 30 seconds. How do people make sure that they're getting an ashy home inspector? Well, one of the easiest ways is we make it simple here in St. Louis. If you go to stlashy.org. You can get a current list of all of the members who are in good standing that are in St. Louis and belong to St. Louis chapter. You could also go to our national website, uh, which I believe is actually homeinspector.org, and they would then tell you overall, are they a current member? All right. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us this Saturday.